Amen. Light for the Lost. Uh, it's a great organization. Uh, just been trying to put it in front of you so you know what it's all about. Uh, what a special day to be at church. Of course, all the days are special. You know why I think that. But today's a little bit unique as we are focusing on missions. And I've been uh, uh, teasing that with you for a little while. Uh, we're going to get into that here in a second. Our youth ministry, I wanted to tell you, had a great time. They went bowling this last Friday evening. They took eight students bowling. That was awesome. Uh, we went to Emerald Lanes, and it was a party. I took my boys down there. We said hi, and then we went to another lane, and we did some bowling and uh, tons of fun. Like I said, our kids are going sledding after church today. The church is providing lunch, and they'll be on their way. Uh, I just wrote down here, make sure you've got those permission slips filled out. Uh, pretty please. Uh, you just saw a video about this arm of AG World Missions called Light for the Lost. Just so you're prepared, we're going to take an offering for Light for the Lost at the uh, end of service today, along with a couple other things. Um, it's something that we do every year, starting last year. <laughs> we'll do it every year, though, uh, last Sunday in January. Light for the Lost is all about spreading the Word of God uh, through print and through media. Uh, so printed material, like they were talking about, fire Bibles, and anything else, uh, the radio, the internet, uh, and video. One thing, I went to a Light for the Lost uh, like a, a luncheon a couple of months ago. One thing they did, the Assemblies of God did, is they bought, you can do this apparently, they bought the word suicide on Google. And so if you Googled suicide, the first thing that came up was a helpline uh, for people that knew the Lord. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that they're using this money that we gave the light for the lost. That's the kind of thing they're using it to do. Um, I hope all of you received, I think I have one of these guys here. Everyone received one of these missions cards. Oh, there it is. Everyone received one of these guys on the way in. Hopefully you did. If you did not, our ushers will make sure that you get one either now or at the end of service today. Do one per family is good. Um, uh, each time you're here, you probably walk by this wall out here. If you, if you go past these doors, you go down this hallway, you walk past this wall, and uh, there are pictures of all the missionaries, missions, organizations that we as a church support. There's seven up there now, seven missions organizations, and uh, in my heart, what I believe God is leading us to do as a church um, is that we'd be able to add five more missionaries or missions organizations in 2023. Uh, now, if you were here two Wednesdays ago, you would have heard uh, these two people, this couple, Ben and Carly Loper, they were here with their beautiful family. Uh, they're called the French Polynesia. And uh, they're a, mission, a missionary that we're going to start supporting next month. Uh, awesome people. A little background before we get into our parable for today, and that does have to do with missions. Our AG missionaries, all the ones you saw in the videos these past several weeks, these AG missionaries, they have a monthly budget they have to raise before they can go on the field. So they have people that commit to supporting them each week. And uh, once they raise that, they can go on the field. Uh, and it covers their monthly expenses, taking care of them while they're in the field, right? These people go, like Ben and Carly, they're going to go to French Polynesia with their little kids, and they got to get their kids in school and medical care and all that good stuff. So they, they go take care of their family, do the things uh, they need to do, and also minister. They've also got a cash budget that they have to raise for expenses that are not as regular, uh, plane tickets, those kinds of things. Um, we, when we take a one-time offering like we did for Ben and Carly a couple weeks ago, that's usually where that goes. We send, it, we send a check straight to them. Uh, and ben, ben and Carly, once they raise their budget, they're going to be headed into the field for the first time. Uh, and we're honored to get to be a part of that. Uh, uh, if you were here, you heard him talk about how French Polynesia sounds like, uh, like a paradise sort of place to go, but there hasn't been an AG missionary in French Polynesia for 20 years. Uh, and they're going to go and they're going to minister. 
You hear us say often, and if you go to our website, you're going to see it immediately. It comes up on the top that if we love the family, we can change the world. And the thing is, what I believe God wants us to know today is that the mission of our church, which is loving the family, changing the world, letting everyone know how good God is and that they can have a relationship with his son, Jesus, it doesn't only happen within our four walls and within our geographical area, just within the city of Boise. As we go through service today, this is why you have that little card there. I'm going to just ask you to prayerfully consider uh, thinking about making a commitment to missions today. And if you are new, you're like, what is this church? They're asking me for money, and I just walked in. Sorry about that. Uh, no pressure. But I hope you catch our heart. Uh, and our heart is that people would know the Lord, that you would know the Lord, everyone here would know the Lord, everyone outside these doors would know Jesus. We're going to be studying just a short passage today from Luke 13, so you can turn there if you want to be ready. We're actually going to be looking at two short parables that are back-to-back. Uh, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast. And Jesus taught them right back-to-back uh, together. In fact, they're probably in one section in your Bible. And I believe these two parables, they give us insight as to what happens when we begin to look outside our four walls. Now that I know there's more walls than four in here, but it's a metaphor, outside our four walls. Insight into what happens when the page turns, when the page turns. Think about your favorite book. Does everyone here have a favorite book? Do you have, all you have to do is have a favorite book. Raise your hand if you have a favorite book. Some of you are not, not willing to admit that you read. Uh, <laughs> Think about your favorite book, the first time you ever read it. Now, there are some of you in this place, I'm certain, who you like to read just for the sake of reading. You don't really care what you're reading, just as long as you are reading. Uh, this describes my wife uh, perfectly. She's, got, she's often got, pretty much always got multiple books going at one time. Sometimes she will look like frustrated. It look like she's having a rough afternoon. We'll be home on a Saturday. I'll say, dear, what's wrong? Is something wrong? She'll say something like, I just really don't like this book I'm reading right now. It's depressing. Ready to be done with it? Of course, the answer for me is, okay, put the book away. Take it back to the library. You don't have to finish it. <laughs> but she finishes all of them. She loves, she just has to be reading all the time. Uh, if you a few of you have been to our house. She has a library. The biggest room that's not the family room in our house belongs to her, and it's her library with all of her books. I really like to read, but not enough to read a book that I don't like. Man, if I don't like it enough, I'll just close it. Move on to another one. Unless I have to read it. You know, in college, you have to read books. Um, if that makes no sense to you, if you're like, man, I would not do that, you probably would do the same thing except with a movie. Once you start uh, watching the movie, you aren't stopping, no matter how frustrating it is, no matter how dumb it is, because you just like movies that much. But I would guess that all of you have read at least one book that you really love. I actually got a book here with me today that I bet most of you are a little familiar with, Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, classic. It's not my favorite book, although I really do like it. Uh, some of my favorite books, uh, I love this book called All the Light We Cannot See. If you want to read a book before bed that's going to make you have dreams about what you read, go read that one because it's so descriptive. Uh, I love this book by Tom Clancy from the 80s called Red Storm Rising about perspective World War III. It's awesome. I love this uh, sci-fi book called Ender's Game. Some books I love. 
But think about your favorite book. And think about uh, how much anticipation there was for what the next page held. Maybe on the next page it was a surprising development. And that's why the book is awesome. Maybe it turned out exactly how you thought it would. But regardless, you couldn't wait to turn the page. This morning, as God's people, we should remember that God is writing a story. He's writing a great story of redemption on the earth. The story is about how his kingdom will come and his will will be done. And all of us, as his people, we get to be a part of turning the page. We're about to read this short passage in Luke together. These two brief, two brief parables. Remember that a parable is when Jesus would use a real world, real world example to communicate a kingdom truth. These parables, they ask and they answer the question, what is the kingdom of God like? That's the question we're going to see Jesus ask here. What is the kingdom of God like? Quick note for you before we read from Luke. One of the ways we know this parable is important is that it's also included almost exactly the same, almost word for word in Matthew. And the first part of it about the mustard seed is in Mark. It's one of the few parables that's included in all three Gospels. So you know it's important. So let's read together this, just this short account. Uh, Luke chapter 13, uh, verses 18 through 21. I'm reading to you out of the NIV this morning. Short passage. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. You see, friends, what God is asking us today is what is your part in the kingdom? In which chapter lies your part of the story? Man, what happens when the page turns? Well, the first thing that happens when the page turns is the journey begins. In this book, for instance, you're going to get to hear just a tiny bit of it in a moment. In this book, for instance, if you haven't read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you're missing out. But the story, it's a story of four children in an old house and turns into this timeless journey. For example, page six says this. Nothing there, said Peter. And they all trooped out again, all except Lucy. She stayed behind because she thought it would be worthwhile trying the door of the wardrobe, even though she felt almost sure that it would be locked. To her surprise, it opened quite easily, and two mothballs dropped out. Looking into the inside, she saw several coats hanging up, mostly long fur coats. There was nothing Lucy liked so much as the smell and feel of fur. She immediately stepped into the wardrobe and got in among the coats and rubbed her face against them, leaving the door open, of course, because she knew that it is very foolish to shut oneself into any wardrobe. Soon she went further and found that there was a second row of coats hanging up behind the first one. It was almost quite dark in there, and she kept her arms stretched out in front of her so as not to bump her face into the back of the wardrobe. She took a step further in, then two or three steps always expecting to feel woodwork against the tips of her fingers, but she could not feel it. This must be a simply enormous wardrobe, thought Lucy, going still further in and pushing the soft folds of the coats aside to make room for her. 
Then she noticed that there was something crunching on her feet. I wonder, is that more mothballs, she thought, stooping down to feel it with her hand. But instead of feeling the hard, smooth wood of the floor, the wardrobe, she felt something soft and powdery and extremely cold. This is very strange, she said, and went on a step or two further. Next moment, she found what was rubbing against her face and hands was no longer soft fur, but something hard and rough and even prickly. Why, it is just like branches of trees, exclaimed Lucy. And then she saw that there was a light ahead of her. Not a few inches away where the back of the wardrobe ought to have been, but a long way off. Something cold and soft was falling on her. A moment later, she found she was standing in the middle of a wood at nighttime with snow under her feet and snowflakes falling through the air. See, when the page turns, the journey begins. If you were to keep reading just another paragraph more, uh, you'd, of course, find out that Lucy, the, the light she saw was the lamp. And she was about to meet, anybody know, Mr. Tumnus. And you would find out the answer to the question if you kept reading, what is Narnia like? And Narnia, of course, is a made-up world C.S. Lewis came up with. But Narnia also is this beautiful representation of who Jesus is and the, the lion and Aslan and in God's kingdom. And when we hear Jesus ask this question of us in Luke 13, 18, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. I hope it sparks inside of us this desire to be a small part of God's kingdom brought to earth. You see, we never know what's going to happen at the very beginning of a journey. You never know of the journey, one small step, one basic plan. You never know where those things might end up taking you. And that's what Jesus is getting at as he asks this question. Like we talked about a couple of weeks ago uh, and last year when we talked about the parables, everyone that Jesus talked to, they would have been familiar with the basics of farming and agriculture, planting stuff, gardening, would have been similar, right, to talking about having a job in 2023. Just something everyone understands because it's part of our daily life, right? You, you, you know how to work and you know how to do a job because that's what you do. And these days, you knew how to farm and garden because that's what everybody did. And when Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, he is appealing to something that every single person who hears this would have known. And that is that one tiny mustard seed could lead to a bush or a tree that's 20 or 30 feet tall. One tiny seed. And as Jesus notes there, it's substantial enough for birds to land on. Now, Jesus' 12 disciples at the time, uh, they had left their lives to follow him, right? If you go read the New Testament, 12 guys from differing backgrounds, tax collectors, and fishermen, revolutionaries. One of the guys is called Simon the Zealot. And they left everything to follow Jesus. But at times, the odds must have seemed insurmountable to them. Because in the time where they lived, there were dozens of different Roman gods, gods with a little g, not real gods, but they tried to serve, people worshipped. Plus, there was the Jews who thought they knew the one true God, but really they were far from him. Where there's 12 ordinary men, and they sparked a change in the course of history. Because we know not long after this, if you keep reading after the Gospels, the beginning of Acts, over 3,000 become Christians from one sermon that Peter preaches. And somehow he did it without a stage or a microphone or any of this stuff. 
And what Jesus wanted the people he was talking to to know is that what affects the course of history is not the size of the seed, but the size of the tree. What affects the course of history is not the size of the seed, but the size of the tree. And you know, to tell the truth, a mustard seed in my hands is probably not worth very much. Honestly, I got a seven-year-old, a nine-year-old. If I didn't lose it, that would be a miracle. But a mustard seed in the hands of someone who knows what to do with it, well, then it grows into a large tree. Even if I did manage to get it planted, I probably wouldn't, uh, you know, water it or whatever needed to be done. Over the past several weeks, you've seen videos with these missionaries that all have a divine call to the places they had. So Ben and Carly had a couple weeks ago a divine call to French Polynesia. Uh, we've seen some videos where these missionaries have divine calls to Portugal, to Uruguay, Ukraine, Burma today. We must understand, and I hope the thing that grips your heart, because it grips mine, is that a small seed in the hands of someone with a divine calling will lead to a great harvest. Now, you might be sitting there looking at this little card in front of you, asking you to make a commitment to giving to missions. And you might be thinking, dude, I got like 20 bucks. <laughs> 20 bucks a month would be a stretch. And what difference would it make anyway? It's $20. Well, we've got to understand at this time that the disciples probably felt exactly the same. They'd get together and they'd follow Jesus around the countryside, and it must have seemed like just 12 ragtag guys against the world. And the obs must have just seemed completely against them. But somehow the disciples, what they knew in their hearts was that the life contained in this man Jesus they were following, the life contained in Jesus, it couldn't be contained. And all they could do was what they felt in their hearts and trust God for the rest. What they felt in their hearts was leave their nets, leave their jobs, and follow Jesus. And that small, seemingly insignificant seed that we might commit to planting today, only God knows the journey that it might spark. Because when the page turns, the journey begins. Number two, when the page turns, the mystery deepens. Skip forward a little bit in the story here, because everybody likes a good story. Back in the house. This house of the professors, which even he knew so little about, was so old and famous that people from all over England used to come and ask permission to see over it. It was the sort of house that is mentioned in guidebooks and even in histories, and well might be, for all manner of stories were told about it, some of them even stranger than the one I am telling you now. And when parties of sightseers arrived and asked to see the house, the professor always gave them permission. And Mrs. McCready, the housekeeper, showed them around, telling them about the pictures and the armor and the rare books in the library. Mrs. McCready was not fond of children and did not like to be interrupted when she was telling visitors all the things she knew. She had said to Susan and Peter almost on the first morning, along with a good many other instructions, and please remember you're to keep out of the way whenever I'm taking a party over the house. Just as if any of us would want to waste half the morning trailing around with a crowd of strange grown-ups, said Edmund, and the other three throughout the, thought the same. That was how the adventures began for a second time. A few mornings later, Peter and Edmund were looking at the suit of armor and wondering if they could take it to bits. That sounds like my sense. <laughs> when the two girls rushed into the room and said, Look out! Here comes McCready and a whole gang with her. 
Sharp's the word, said Peter. And all four made off through the door at the far end of the room. But when they had got out into the green room and beyond it, into the library, they suddenly heard voices ahead of them and realized that Mrs. McCready must be bringing her party of sightseers up the back stairs instead of up the front stairs as they had expected. And after that, whether it was that they lost their heads or that Mrs. McCready was trying to catch them or that some magic in the house had come to life and was chasing them into Narnia, they seemed to find themselves being followed everywhere. Until at last, Susan said, oh, bother those trippers. Here, let's get into the wardrobe room until they've passed. No one will follow us in there. But the moment they were inside, they heard voices in the passage. And then someone fumbling at the door. And then they saw the handle turning. Quick, said Peter. There's nowhere else. And it flung open the wardrobe. All four of them bundled inside it and sat there, panting in the dark. Peter held the door closed but did not shut it, for of course he remembered as every sensible person does, that you should never shut yourself up in a wardrobe. You see, when the page turns and we press forward, a dusty coat closet becomes a gateway to an adventure that we'd not ever have imagined. And if you know the story, you're probably all going to go, you know, there's going to be a run on buying this book at the thrift stores in town probably. But if you know the story, you know that as the chapters go by, these four kids... The Pavenses is their last name. They find this unimaginable adventure. They found, find unimaginable purpose in this place called Narnia. They get to by going through the wardrobe, at least in this book. And you see, when the page turns, God takes the smallest of seeds, and he does something that only he can do. And Christianity, serving Jesus, God's kingdom come here on earth. It is indeed this great mystery. Just like the one that Jesus continues to talk about in Luke chapter 13, verse 19 says, It grew, the mustard seed, it grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Now, we spend quite a bit of time worrying about the state of our world, and for good reason. It can be in rough shape. And there are places where darkness prevails and the things of God, they seem to be just the farthest thing from anybody's mind. But what Jesus says to us is that even the smallest planted seed can lead to salvation. And at several places in the Bible, uh, the birds perched in the branches, it's a metaphor for the nations coming to know God. Did you know there are in the, around the world today, there are two, around 2.2 billion Christians in the world? 2.2 billion. About 2,000 years ago, though, it was a man from Nazareth and 12 men who left everything to go follow him. And though at the time there were many other religions that were more popular, and if you had to guess, you'd think they'd be more prevalent 2,000 years later. Well, those 12 men embraced God's kingdom. And because they embraced God's kingdom, salvation began to be written on the pages of history. And even more, the seeds those 12 men planted... Those seeds are still growing today. And when we, as God's people, we talk about missions and we help send the gospel to the ends of the earth, we're taking part in that great mystery that is God's kingdom. We're taking part in letting others know about the grace and the mercy that if you know Christ, you've so wonderfully received. And the seed that we are casting might be small. But those 12 men in ancient Rome, they proved beyond the shadow of a doubt that a small seed 
can become a great tree. 2.2 billion Christians. Yeah, there are a little more than 2 billion Christians on earth today, but that leaves another 6 billion or so that don't know him. 6 billion. And when we commit to planting the seed, whether that seed is small or large, then the great tree begins to grow. And that gospel that is the good news of Jesus, it makes its way to the ends of the earth. Man, the good news of Jesus, it's powerful. That good news of Jesus is so powerful that uh, the stats are every 37 seconds, someone comes to Christ through an aging ministry somewhere in the world. Every 37 seconds. Two a minute. These are estimates for you accountants. Two a minute, 120 an hour, 2,880 per day from the small seat. It might seem like what you do each day is insignificant. It might seem that any pledge, any amount of money, you write down on this card, you write down $5, and you stick that thing in, in the bucket as it goes around later. Couldn't possibly make a difference. But that gospel spread from 12 Middle Eastern men 2,000 years ago became the largest organized religion in history. And we may not be able to personally go, but we can be a part of the mystery of sending others who are called to missions. Like Ben and Carly a couple weeks ago. And the gospel, because it is so powerful, the good news, because it's so powerful, it can go from Boise, Idaho, 270 East Pennsylvania, to the ends of the earth. Because when the page turns, the mystery deepens. And if you remember the story from the lion, the witch in the wardrobe, and the children, they encounter the white witch. And the white witch streets reverses Narnia on a sleigh. It's pulled by a reindeer, and it's got bells. And one of the kids, Edmund, he ends up in the witch's clutches. They find out that Narnia has been frozen in winter for as long as anyone remembers. But finally, when the page turns, the transformation comes. One more little bit of the story. Mr. Beaver was out of the cave like a flash the moment he heard it. Perhaps you think, as Lucy thought for a moment, that this was a very silly thing to do. But it was really a very sensible one. He knew he could scramble to the top of the bank among bushes and brambles without being seen. And he wanted above all things to see which way the witch's sledge went. The others all sat in the cave waiting and wondering. They waited nearly five minutes. Then they heard something that frightened them very much. They heard voices. Oh, thought Lucy, he's been seen. She's caught him. Great was their surprise when a little later they heard Mr. Beaver's voice calling to them from just outside the cave. It's all right, he was shouting. Come out, Mrs. Beaver. Come out, sons and daughters of Adam. It's all right. It isn't her. This was bad, this was bad grammar, of course, but this is how beavers talk when they are excited. I mean, in Narnia, in our world, they don't usually talk at all. So Mrs. Mrs. Beaver and the children came bundling out of the cave, all blinking in the daylight, and with earth all over them, and looking very frousty and unbrushed and uncombed and with the sleep in their eyes. Come on, cried Mr. Beaver, who was almost dancing with delight. Come and see. This is a nasty knock for the witch. It looks as if her power is already crumbling. What do you mean, Mr. Beaver, panted Peter as they all scrambled up the steep bank of the valley together. Didn't I tell you, answered Mr. Beaver, that she'd made it always winter, never Christmas? Didn't I tell you? Well, just come and see. And when they were all at the top and did see. It was a sledge, and it was reindeer with bells on their harnesses. But they were far bigger than the witch's reindeer. 
and they were not white but brown. And on the sledge sat a person whom everyone knew the moment they set eyes on him. He was a huge man in a bright red robe, bright as holly berries, with a hood that had fur inside it, and a great white beard that fell like a foamy waterfall over his chest. Everyone knew him because though you see people of his sort only in Narnia, you see pictures of them and hear them talked about even in our world, the world on this side of the wardrobe door. But when you really see them in Narnia, it is rather different. Some of the pictures of Father Christmas in our world make him look only funny and jolly. But now that the children actually stood looking at him, and they didn't find it quite like that. He was so big and so glad and so real that they all became quite still. They felt very glad, but also solemn. I've come at last, said he. She has kept me out for a long time, but I have got in at last. Aslan is on the move. The witch's magic is weakening. And Lucy felt running through her that deep shiver of gladness, which you only get if you are being solemn and still. If you know the story, you know that this is the moment when winter begins to thaw. And the children, they begin to transform from ordinary kids into kings and queens of Narnia. And Jesus, in his parable in the New Testament here, he moves seamlessly from talking about the mustard seed and the large tree to talking about yeast and bread. Verse 20 says this, again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, in ancient times, the process of obtaining bread was a little different than it is now. Right? Most times, at least in the United States, if you want to have some bread, you just go down to the store and you buy it. You look to make sure the expiration date is as far away as possible. But in ancient times, in Jesus' time, each family made it in their house. And yeast is the word that we're more, most familiar with. But in the time of Jesus, they would have been more likely to use something uh, called leaven. There are many of you in here, I'm sure, who know more about baking than I do. But you know, you must add yeast or leaven in order for the bread to rise, in order for it to be worth eating. The most effective way to have leaven in ancient times was to keep a, a part of last week's dough. And then you work it into the new batch. And a small detail that I love here uh, is a specific amount of flour that Jesus denotes in his parable. He says 60 pounds. Uh, if you've got a different version, it may say a certain amount of measures. But the thing I think is awesome is that it's the same amount that Abraham's wife Sarah prepared in Genesis 18 when the Lord visited. It's the same amount that Gideon prepared for the Lord in Judges 6 when he visited. It's the same amount that Hannah used when dedicating Samuel to the Lord in 1 Samuel 1. All those in the Old Testament. So here is Jesus proving his knowledge of the scriptures to the Pharisees. And I wonder if those guys are sitting there and thinking it's a coincidence in each case. That the 60 pounds of dough was prepared in the presence of the Lord in the Old Testament. And he's talking about 60 pounds of dough right now. I wonder if they thought it was a coincidence he was noting the same amount. But the simple idea Jesus is reminding them of is that a small amount of leaven works its way through the whole batch of flour, and it makes it into bread. But whereas, and I want you to catch this, whereas the mustard seed, the mustard tree comes from the mustard seed. You plant the seed, the tree sprouts from it. The new dough doesn't come from the leaven. See, the new dough is prepared separately. 
And the leaven, it can't do anything if it sits outside the new dough. But the transformation, the transformation comes when the leaven is introduced into the new dough. And friends, when it comes to the gospel, comes to the good news, the good news that brings transformation when it comes from the outside. When we send a missionary to the ends of the earth or maybe somewhere close by but full of darkness, when the good news comes from the outside, the good news begins to transform. I mentioned our wall with uh, missionaries on it earlier. And when we send, these people are all out there on the wall, we send the Kaisers to Russia. They're in Russia trying to start Kyalfa in the middle of a war. We send the Bridgewaters, who many of you know, to Malawi. We send the McCullers to Germany, the Lopers from a couple of weeks ago to French Polynesia. They bring the transformation of Jesus to those places. And we get to become a part of the page turning to a new chapter, every corner of the world. You see, friends, when the page turns, the transformation comes. In a moment, we're going to get ready to take an offering for light for the loss or our ushers can get ready. And uh, We're going to prepare to prayerfully fill out these cards. If you got these, I just ask you to grab them and maybe hold them in your hand. I feel so led. First, though, one more story. This one, though, is not C.S. Lewis. This is from an AG missionary in, the, in uh, Asia Pacific. As I read this, I just encourage you to take this card, prayerfully begin to consider. Missionary's name is Sam Paris. He's in Vanuatu. After Cyclone Harold ravaged Vanuatu earlier this year, roads on the nation's remote island of Pentecost were impassable. Landslides and high winds washed away sections of the dirt roads, remaking the landscape into something even wilder and more challenging than it had previously been. From the, be- from the very beginning of this year's cyclone relief effort, we had prayed for God to use us to open doors for us to share the gospel and for lives to be changed forever. We also prayed that God would lead us every step of the way and that only his will would be done. So we strapped on our packs and trekked up a mountain to central Pentecost and to the remote village of Ritap. The whole community greeted us, eager to see who was willing to make the trip to visit them. As we made introductions and explained why we had come, the chief of the village came out of his hut. I immediately noticed a gaping wound on the back of his hand. When I got closer to him, I could see the wound was about two inches across and extremely deep, exposing the tendons. His hand was badly swollen, grossly infected. He was in so much pain that he could not lift it. The chief explained that he had gone spearfishing to get food for his family. While in the ocean, an octopus attacked him. Don't have that problem in Idaho. No octopus is attacking It gripped his arm and ripped a chunk out of his hand before he could detangle himself from it. Now his hand was swollen, his body badly infected. The outer islands of Vanuatu have little to no medical care. An infected wound is deadly out there. After being shown around the area and assessing the village's needs, I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me to pray for the chief. I asked him if I could pray for God to heal his hand. Ratap does not have access to any church and still follows traditional animistic beliefs. But after some consideration, he agreed. I prayed with excitement because we had been asking God for opportunities to make him known, to see him work in wondrous ways. Shortly after our prayer, we said our goodbyes. Three weeks later, we returned to Pentecost in a ship filled with rice and canned meat for distribution. When we got to a tap, the chief came running. He held up his hand, showing me that the swelling was gone. 
And if the gaping wound had become just a small scab, he added that as soon as we had prayed for his festering wound, it had stopped weeping that day. And every day thereafter, it got better and better. He then asked if I would be willing to do for others what I had done for him. I excitedly explained that it was God who had healed him and that I would be happy to pray for others in the village. And the chief led me from hut to hut where I was able to lay hands on the sick and broken, asking God to heal them and make his presence known. This is one story. If you go to the AG World Missions website, there's story after story just like that. Heard a similar one from Ben Loper a couple weeks ago about uh, being in someone's house and divinely feeling God speak to pick up a guitar and play How Great Thou Art with the guy. Friends, this morning, we as Engage Boise, we have the opportunity to be a part of the page turning all over the world. And as a worship team, they're going to prepare to sing uh, here in a moment. I want to give you just a little bit of instruction. First of all, like I said, if this is all new to you, please don't feel any pressure to give in this offering um, we're about to take or commit to giving to missions. Although, like I said at the beginning, I hope you hear and you feel this morning the power of Jesus. And we've prayed that if you came here today that you would encounter him. I want to be clear that the reason we are focusing on this today, the reason we are focusing on missions, is because we are endeavoring to focus our attention outside of our four walls. Every dollar that is committed on one of these, uh, one of these little cards, uh, it's going to uh, be given and it will be sent to missionaries or missions organizations. For example, the rescue mission, that's one that we're going to start supporting as well, the Boise Rescue Mission. It's not an AG organization, but an awesome cause, something that we're all about. For our church family, just a couple of notes. Uh, maybe you're new and you feel led to participate. It's really important to remember that when we give to missions, uh, the Bible instructs us to do so on top of our normal tithe. Right? In Malachi 3, the Bible instructs us really clearly to tithe 10% of what God gives us on a regular basis. Bring the tithe into the storehouse, it says. So I'd encourage you, if you're tithing, please continue doing that. Please don't stop. But when we give uh, to missions, it's in addition to that tithe. And here's what the Bible says, right? This is the scripture to keep in our hearts. Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We might not be the ones going. Although that sounds like an adventure, what this guy did on the island. We might not be the ones going, but we can certainly be a part of the sending. Some of you have been giving uh, to specific missionaries regularly, regularly through our church for a long time. Please continue to do that as you have been. And we'll, of course, continue to support those missionaries like we have been. Exactly the same. But what we commit today as a church on top of that, what you commit to giving uh, on these cards throughout the year, we'll total it up, and then we'll know how much we can give to missions as a church in 2023. You don't need to commit to giving to a specific missionary today. Um, In many cases, when you write something down on here, we're going to use that to uh, support uh, monthly missionaries that come and present their ministry. We've got some missionaries coming in March. I went to uh, lunch with them before the first of the year, and man, their story is going to blow your mind. Uh, they're in Amsterdam, and uh, it's incredible. But as we establish this amount that our church brings in for missions each month, what you pledge to give each month, we can also participate in special projects. We get calls all the time from places trying to build churches, purchase equipment. 
And you can see on the top of the card there, it says global and local and next. There's simply three directions that our missions giving will go. Uh, global is, of course, foreign countries. Local would mean uh, within the United States, uh, around Boise. Uh, the rescue mission, Pastor Tim and Debbie's counseling organization that's reaching dark places. And next would be anything related to young people, college students, teenagers or kids. That's uh, Chi Alpha, uh, Launchpad, who teaches Bible classes at schools, things like that. And our goal as a church would be to sow into each one of those, to help turn the page into a new chapter all over the world right next door. I want you to know that we are not going to be calling you to collect. If you write something on here, we're not going to be calling you to collect. It's not that kind of church. <laughs> but we'll make a copy of the card so we know how much to plan for, and we'll send you the original in the mail. Put it in your Bible, put it on your mirror, whatever. Or we'll hand it to you at church, I guess. Uh, we, in most cases, we will focus at least for a few minutes once a month on missions. The video or a greeting or from a missionary that we support. And hopefully that will serve as a reminder to you of what you prayerfully write down today. Man, I would just encourage you, if the Lord is impressing upon you to participate, even if it's 10 or 20 bucks a month, to take a step of faith and do so. If not, that's fine. Trust each of you uh, to have soft hearts towards the Lord today. But remember, the smallest seeds become the large trees that reach the nations. So I'm going to pray. Ushers, you make your way forward, ushers, as we get ready. Um, as this offering goes around, it's twofold. One, one of the reasons is an offering for light for the lost, one-time offering for light for the lost. And then it's for you to put these cards in. If you have a, a, a monthly and a yearly commitment you want to make to missions, would you write an amount on there? Um, here. Connor, would you take ours, please? Thank you. Um, encourage you to write an amount on there, stick it in the bucket. And uh, if it's a step of faith, then trust the Lord to bring it. So I'm going to pray, and this pastor on me to begin to lead us in the goodness of God. We're going to pass the buckets around. I just encourage you as we pray to prayerfully consider uh, what God is speaking to you. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for your people that you've brought to this place for a divine reason. Lord, thank you that you knew this day far in advance. You knew who would be sitting in these chairs. Lord, you know uh, the needs, the hearts of every missionary. Uh, Lord, I pray that our church uh, would be a part uh, of sowing the seed far outside of these four walls. Uh, Lord, I pray that people all, all over the world would come to know you because of uh, what we commit to give today as your people. Lord Jesus, for those that hold this card in their hand and, and they feel you speaking, but uh, it seems like it'll be a stretch. Lord, I just pray you would speak to them and, and give the knowledge and peace about what to do. Uh, Lord, as we take this offering for light for the lost, uh, Lord, I pray that it would go to help people have your word right in front of them, to hear your word, to see your word on the internet. Lord, thank you that we have the ability to give, to be in this place. Uh, Lord Jesus, would you bless this offering? Bless these cards uh, as they're given. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.